Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, it'd be really good to keep your Bible uh, handy. Um, we're going to be moving around uh, a fair bit this morning, and so it would be uh, good for you to have it ready. Uh, as we begin, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you that um, we have this time to open up your word now. We thank you that you have spoken uh, to us in it. And we thank you that you speak so clearly of Jesus and his work. And you also guide and direct us uh, how we live uh, for you in response. Uh, Lord God, we do pray that you would uh, be at work this morning as we study your word. In our listening, in our thinking, and in our hearts, and in the way that we respond. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Now this morning we are continuing in our series uh, called Got Questions, where we are considering uh, some of the tougher issues that we face as uh, followers of Jesus living in 21st century Australia. And within that uh, broader series, we're kind of in the middle of a mini-series called Life and Death where we're thinking about some of the issues uh, surrounding both the end and the start of life. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were last in the series, uh, we looked at the issue of euthanasia and physician-assisted death. And we thought about uh, what life is and how we should treat it and how that impacts our view uh, on euthanasia. Now, the plan for this week uh, was that we were going to cover issues to do with the start of life today. And in particular, we we're going to look at the issues of abortion and assisted reproductive therapies or technologies. Uh, those uh, practices, medical procedures, uh, which help us fall pregnant and uh, babies to come around. That was the plan until about Wednesday lunchtime, when I realized that I had a mountain of material. And if I was going to try and cover both of those two things on one Sunday, one of two things uh, would happen, probably both. Uh, firstly, uh, I would do an injustice uh, to both of them, and we really wouldn't get to spend the time that we need to spend on either of them. Or secondly, I would preach a mega sermon <laughs> that would stretch the friendship between you and me a little further than it probably needs to go. And seeing as we've already done that at least once in this series, I wasn't willing to go there. So what we've done, because we're flexible and we can do things like this, is we split it in two. Uh, today, we'll look specifically at issues surrounding abortion. And then next week, 
uh, we'll turn our focus and our attention to assisted reproductive uh, therapies or technologies. And that way, our Sunday school teachers don't have to play a 14th round of Duck, Duck, Goose at 11.30, uh, wondering why we still haven't sung a song. So everybody remains happy. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at euthanasia, we had a look at what this thing is, according to God's word, uh, called life is. And we made three statements about life uh, from God's word. Let's recap them. The first one is this, is that life is a gift from God. Life finds its origin in God himself. Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man uh, in our image. God makes male and female in his own image. Genesis chapter 2, telling the same story, tells us that God formed the man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed life into him. God creates man from the very start in his image. Uh, Psalm 139, uh, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that too well. Life is a gift from God. That was the first thing. The second thing we saw was this, that life is on loan. While it is a gift, it is not simply ours to do with as we please. God remains sovereign over our lives. Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is sovereign over our birth. God is sovereign over our death. And we are accountable for what we do with it. Life is on loan. And the third thing we saw is that life is for redeeming. Life with death, life with suffering, life with heartache, was not what life was created for. God created life good. And it's only under the curse of sin that we experience all of these things. And the great news is that God is redeeming life. He has done that in Jesus, in his work on the cross, in his death, burial, and resurrection. He is doing that still in Jesus as the gospel goes out and he brings lives, people back to himself. And he will do that in Jesus finally and completely when Jesus comes again. Life is for redeeming. Now, a couple of implications I want to think from those three things, uh, considering uh, start of life issues and particularly abortion. The first one is this. That means, if all of that is true, firstly it means that no life is an accident. No human life is random or an accident. God is the creator of every single human life. Secondly, every life, Ben, is precious. Because every life is created by God and in his image. Every life has value. Every life has worth. Every human life is to be protected. And thirdly, no life whether that's our own lives or the life of another, simply can be done with as we please. All lives, whether that's our own life or the life of another, is to be treated within the loving and logical limits that God himself has set. All of life, whether it's an adult or a child or an unborn, is created by God and in his image, all life is valuable and 
precious and all life is to be protected. Now, let's move on from there. One of the key questions that we face in this, I'm thinking about abortion, is the question this. When then does life begin? If life is created by God and in his image, if life is valuable and precious, the question we've got to wrestle with then is when does that life start? Now, it's important to realize that when we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to delve into it, the Bible is not a biology textbook, okay? God doesn't give us his word with all of the technical terms and all of the various stages of development and point to it and say, uh, this is where life starts. But the Bible does do some things that we need to take note of. The first one is this. The Bible describes life as beginning before birth. But for the Bible, life begins before birth. Turn with me in your Bible uh, to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to look at a couple of verses there which, which have a similar pattern going about them. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Jump down to verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. We could go again to Genesis 38, which we won't do. We could go to Isaiah 8, we could go to Isaiah 46. It's the same pattern. The Bible views life as a continuity. Starting with knowing... Uh, sexual intimacy, conception, birth, childhood, and adulthood. It has this ongoing, continuous line through there. Now, we know that not every act of knowing, of, of intimacy, results in conception, and we know that not every conception results in birth, but the Bible has this, this picture of continuity here. Knowing, conceiving, birth, child. Not only that, but throughout the Bible, there are times where the unborn child is able to relate to and to know God and is known by God. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5, that passage we read with the kids just a few moments ago. Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, sorry, starting at verse 4, says this. The word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet among uh, to the nations. God knows and appoints this child before he is born. Before he is even formed, God knows this child. Psalm 139 says the same thing. That passage that we read from Luke chapter 1 uh, has uh, Elizabeth bearing a child, uh, she's six months pregnant at this stage, leaping for joy, uh, at knowing that the Savior, the Lord, has come. Mary is within the first few weeks of her pregnancy, and yet Elizabeth can talk about the Lord who dwells, who lives within her. Throughout the Bible, we also see 
that God is intimately involved in the process of knitting a child together. Psalm 139, again, we read it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We were knitted together in our mother's womb. This is a process in which God is involved, and it's a process over which God is sovereign. We also read that God desires that human life, before it is born, is to be protected. Flick back with me to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 21. We're going to read a few verses there. Exodus 21, verses 22 to 23. Exodus 21, from verse 22. When men strive together, when men are fighting, and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What is this? This is the same penalty imposed on a, out of the womb, a born life. See, the Bible has this picture that God is involved in knitting together a life before it is born. He's intimately involved. It's not just a process of biology and chemistry. He's there. He's involved. He knows that child. There's a continuity between conception and birth. And those inside of the womb are deserving of the protection of the law. As I said before, the Bible is not a biology textbook. It doesn't know the difference between a zygote and a fetus. It doesn't talk about all of the stages but it does give a clear picture that life begins before birth now i'm i'm no scientist i'm not a biologist i'm not an embryologist Uh, i rely heavily on the science and the research of others but we shouldn't be afraid of science in this regard because science affirms what the bible says Science and biology is very clear that life begins before birth. In fact, it is very clear that life begins at conception. Life begins at fertilization, the moment of the egg and the sperm. At that moment, everything there is necessary for human life, for human development, for adulthood. And from that moment on, there is an ongoing, continuous process that goes without halt to the birth of a child. The question of when life begins is not a question of science. That's no longer a question that science asks. It's pinpointed it. It says at fertilization. The question that we wrestle with now is a question of both science and philosophy. When does that life become human? When does that life become worthy and deserving of protection, has value and worth, and is to be treasured? That's the question that is wrestled with now. Now, some people, uh, many people, uh, many Christians, and this has traditionally been the view of Christians, and I'm going to argue a little later on, it should still be a view today, 
uh, would say that that moment of human life beginning is the moment of fertilization, the moment of egg and sperm. Because from that moment, it keeps the process keeps going. Because from that moment, everything, DNA, and everything else that is necessary for adult human life is present. Now, traditionally, that moment of fertilization has been called the moment of conception. But more recently, that definition of conception has come under threat. And now, many people want to place the moment of conception as the moment of implantation. Uh, that moment, about six days after fertilization, uh, when the zygote becomes a blastocyst uh, and implants on the wall, uh, and that's the next stage. Still other people want to place it later, at day 15, uh, when the opportunity for twinning, uh, there be multiple births, uh, is ruled out. That happens about day 15, and from which point uh, this life is known as an embryo. Still others want to put that point where life becomes human life at about week nine, where we have what is called a fetus, uh, where all of the features, all of the organs are now present uh, in this little life. And still others want to push it out even further and say that it comes about as the development of the brain, either day 20 where the thalamus is developed or day 26 where brain function can be picked up on an ECG. Other people want to push it out to the point where this life can survive outside of the womb. Uh, 30 years ago, that would have been about day 28. Uh, today, that is about day 20, uh, week 24, not day, week 28, uh, week 24. And still others will want to push it out to week 38 at full gestation. The question that we wrestle with here, and uh, people wrestle with, is not the question of science. It's very clear where life itself begins, but when does that life become human life? The traditional Christian view is that that life begins at the moment of fertilization. And I would say that reading the Bible and understanding the science makes us affirm that position. Because everything that is necessary is there. It's nice to know all the stages, isn't it, and all the terms, and what happens here and what happens there. But these are not hard and fast lines. These are not the nice, neat categories that we can say, well, well when we jump from this box to this box, or this box to this box, it is an ongoing, continuous process that begins at conception, which we should affirm is fertilization, and continues on to birth, and a childhood, and adulthood. Christians should uphold the value and the sanctity of human life before birth, beginning at fertilization. We should see life beginning at that moment, created in the image of God, by God himself, known by God, and deserving of our protection deserving of our trust and our love. Well, how does this relate to the issue of abortion? Let's, uh, big picture, this is where the state of play is in Australia at the moment. Uh, all states and territories in Australia uh, allow abortions up to 14 weeks uh, currently. 
without any questions uh, really asked. In Victoria, uh, there are the loosest uh, abortion laws. No questions asked abortion is permitted up to week 24 in our state and all the way up till birth with the say-so of two doctors. It's really hard to know um, how many abortions there are uh, each year because regular statistics are no longer kept. It is estimated for when they were kept that one in four pregnancies in Australia at the moment ends in an abortion. And with a birth rate of 2014 of 300,000, that would say that there were at least 100,000 abortions carried out in Australia in that year. Between a quarter and a third of all women in Australia will have an abortion. That is a staggering statistic. We live in a time where abortion has become socially acceptable, where it has become another quite convenient uh, method of contraception. How do we respond to that? Let's remember our principles. First one, life is a gift. Human life is a gift from God, created in his image, created by him and known by him. God is sovereign over every life. He's in charge. He's in control. Life begins at fertilization. Life begins at the moment of the egg and the sperm. We are accountable to God for what we do with our lives and the lives of others. And the life of the vulnerable and the weak is of particular concern to us. The life of those who have no voice is of particular concern to those who follow Jesus. Because we have a God who has always been for the weak and the vulnerable who has always reached out to those who don't have a voice for themselves. He's done that for us in Jesus. And now we are to do that for others. So how do we respond? I'm going to go through two, two, two ways that we can respond. They're going to go on for a little bit, so uh, buckle in. Um, the first one is this. Uh, we should affirm and we should stand firm that abortion is wrong. That abortion is the deliberate killing of a life created by God and in his image that has value, that has uh, meaning, uh, that has rights and deserves to be protected. And we should affirm that in all circumstances. Now, one of the questions that gets raised, we're going to raise a few of them. One of the questions is this, what about... What about in instances of sexual assault? What about instances of pregnancy that result from sexual assault? There is no doubt that sexual assault, whether it's rape or whether it's incest or anything else, is a horrendous crime. There is almost nothing as degrading and humiliating to the value of life 
than sexual assault. And to bear and to carry a child resulting from that would be, I, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult and how painful that would be. It's estimated that less than 1% of all abortions uh, carried out in Australia uh, are the abortions of children that are a result of sexual assault. Uh, about 70% of children conceived because of sexual assault are not aborted. Uh, so that means 30% are, which compares to 25% of all other children. The statistic is not much higher. Uh, studies done in the US, uh, long-term studies and shorter-term studies done in Australia, have yet to reveal a case where a mother regrets giving birth to a child conceived out of sexual assault and has found countless examples of those who regret terminating lives conceived out of sexual assault. Again, I'm going to say sexual assault is horrific and it's degrading and it's demeaning and to bear a child out of it would be tough work. But what happens in sexual assault is that somebody weak and vulnerable has been taken advantage of. And the last thing we want to do is compound upon that another taking advantage of a weak and a vulnerable life. People in that position need to be loved and supported and prayed for and understood and given time given every opportunity to bring this life into the world. We remember that God is sovereign over every life. He's the creator of every single one of them, no matter how they come about. What about, the next question will be asked, is uh, what about in the case of abnormalities? What about in the case where doctors are sure that the child uh, to be born um, may be uh, disabled physically or mentally for the entirety of life? What, what if they're sure uh, that a child to be born will born and will not survive? Uh, again, statistics aren't real clear, but it would appear that about 3% uh, of all abortions in Australia fit in that category. And if you add the 1% and the 3%, that's 96% of all abortions don't fit into anything other than the mother's health, which is usually described as mental health. Uh, for another, no other reason. About 3%. Again, we want to affirm how difficult it would be to hear while you are pregnant that your child could be born with a disability and, or may not survive. But we also want to affirm that every life is created by God and in His image. He is sovereign over every single one and He knows these children too. And we want to protect those who are weakest and most vulnerable in our society, which includes these children. These mums and dads too that are in this position, they need our support and our encouragement and our love and our commitment to walk with them along a very difficult journey. Well, the last question that we will raise is what about uh, in the case of uh, when the life, um, the life of the mother is threatened? Uh, what about in cases where uh, the mother uh, 
will die if an abortion is not carried out. Um, again, statistics, uh, about 0.35% uh, of all abortions fit into this category. Uh, that would make it about 300 abortions every year in Australia fit into this uh, category, or terminations fit into this category. Uh, most commonly, uh, this is due to ectopic pregnancies uh, and cancer treatments, uh, where it is clear that both the life of the mother and the child will come to an end if the procedure is not carried out. I'm going to suggest that we don't consider these to be primarily abortions. That we consider these to be life-saving treatments for the mother. That in cases where the life of both is deemed to be so under threat that both will die if it's not carried out, these are life-saving operations for the mum which have a secondary regretful effect of ending the life of the child. This is a tough area for us to wrestle with. Nobody wants to be in, in this position. It is a, is a tough thing to go through. That's how I understand we should look at it. But Christians should continue to affirm that life belongs to God. He's sovereign. He creates it. And that abortion is against his will. And children, no matter how they come about or where they end up, are to be protected and balanced. All right, second uh, way that we respond is that we want to affirm our concern for the vulnerable. Get this? We want to affirm our concern and our care and our support for the vulnerable. And now I'm going to suggest there are four groups of people here that we should be concerned about and we should care for. And the first one of those is the unborn child themselves. We should affirm that we are concerned about lives created in the image of God, uh, lives that are unwanted uh, by parents. We should affirm that they are human lives created by God, deserving of our value, deserving of our protection. Can I say this? This is part of today. There's more work to be done. Please be informed about what's going on, about the debates that are taking place, about the way that this subject is developing in Australia. Uh, it is barely spoken about anymore because it has just become socially acceptable. There is good information out there, though. Now, Sandy McClelland has helped us here. She has placed some information on the back table. If those don't know, Sandy uh, is involved with SPOD uh, in Geelong, which is pregnancy help, and there's some information about what they do on the back table. That's a good starting point. Uh, have a read of that and see uh, what you can learn from that. Get involved in the debate. We have good grounds for our position. We have really good grounds for the position that we have as followers of Jesus. So get involved in the debate because we can make some good arguments for the sanctity of life here. Celebrate pregnancy. Celebrate children as a gift from God. Let's affirm the protection of the unborn child. Second group that we need to affirm here are mums and dads as well who find themselves in the position of unplanned pregnancy whether that be inside a marriage or outside of it. 
we want to affirm that falling pregnant when it is not planned for is a hard and a tough road, but one that can be walked and one that we want to walk alongside of people in. Things are a little bit different now, but when I was growing up, uh, young unmarried couples who fell pregnant in the church were considered to be, not spoken out loud, the impression was given, the worst of all sinners. To get caught having premarital sex with a pregnancy was about the most humiliating thing that could happen to a young person in a Christian church. Now, we want to we affirm godliness in sexuality, all right? We don't want to downplay that. But having a baby outside of marriage is not the worst sin ever. It's not the most humiliating thing that can happen to you. It's not the thing that should make you look down on and frowned upon in the life of the church. Our attitudes in that regard can actually subconsciously push people towards considering termination because of the shame that it brings. As a church, we are sinful people who walk difficult roads together. People who struggle with all sorts of things, people who struggle with all sorts of sexual sins, but who walk a road together of encouragement, recognizing that we all fall, we've all failed, and that grace is given to us in Jesus. And grace is to be extended to us in the Christian church. Let's affirm the place of those who have unplanned pregnancies. Love them, support them, walk alongside them. The third group of people who we want to affirm our concern for are those that we know who have had abortions and terminations in their life. Many people, women, and there's men too, carry those scars with them for a long time. Many people regret the decisions that they have made. People who have been down this road are not people who deserve our judgment and our condemnation. They are people who need our understanding and our love and our support as a church. Because again, who of us can look back on our life and say, I got it all right and I always did the right thing. Sometimes that's gonna, love is going to look like challenge. All right? there, is, there is a time and a place to challenge and affirming what God's word says. But it's done in a context of support and encouragement and love and acceptance in Christ. And the fourth group that needs to be affirmed in our concern for them are those who fall pregnant due to sexual assault or who are told that their babies have disabilities. 
this can be devastating. It can be difficult. It can be so exceptionally hard. These people, when they come into this position, they need to be loved. They need to be prayed for. They need bucket loads of emotional and physical help. They need the full weight of support of the Christian community behind them. This is what the church exists for. This is what the church on earth should be really, really good at. Because that's what God has done for us. Unwanted, abnormal rejects that you and I are. That's what God has done for us in Christ. And that is the love and the acceptance and the support that we are now to pass on to people. Let's pray to God together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the love that is ours in Jesus. We thank you that you have loved and saved us. Regardless of our, our past and our history, you haven't saved us because we were sexually pure or because we were sexually impure. You saved us purely by your sovereign grace, by your sovereign will. Lord God, we pray that we would be truly thankful for the life that we have in Jesus and that we'd be truly thankful for every human life that you create. Lord God, this is a difficult topic and there may still be questions that we have. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom, you give us understanding, and you would give us grace as we deal with each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.